0: Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services in Conversation with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to UBS on air. My name is Judy Spaltoff, and I have the pleasure of leading the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner to exceptional families. We understand clients' needs to extend beyond the purely financial, so we take a strategic, and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. Part of this is working with our clients and their families to help them define their shared values and purpose. These values can act as a guiding light for family philanthropy, business decisions, and even our personal well-being. Today, I am honored to host an incredibly passionate philanthropist who knows firsthand how important it is to define your purpose, Heather Templeton-Dill. Heather is president of the John Templeton Foundation, a private foundation started in 1987 by Heather's grandfather, the famed global investor, John Templeton. Heather was born in Portsmouth, Virginia, and grew up outside of Philadelphia, where both her parents served as physicians at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. When Heather turned 18, her grandfather asked her to join the board of the John Templeton Foundation. She served in that role for six years and was reappointed to the board in 2009, a year after her grandfather had passed away, which marked a significant transition for the foundation. From 2008 to 2012, the foundation's assets grew from $900 million to just under $3 billion. Between 2009 and 2015, Heather worked closely with her father, who was president and chair of the foundation, where she learned all aspects of managing a large private philanthropy. In 2015, when Heather's father passed away from a two-year battle of brain cancer, Heather was appointed as as president by the Board of Trustees. A former high school history, government, and economics teacher, Heather and her husband, Jeff, have four boys and live outside of Philadelphia. Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get started. Thanks, Judy, it's great to have the
1: opportunity to chat.
0: Yeah, okay, so let's get started. I'm really, really excited to learn more about the John Templeton Foundation. Um, So why did your grandfather create the foundation and how did you come to serve as president?
1: The John Templeton Foundation really emerged from some of the philanthropic work my grandfather was doing in the early 1970s. So specifically in 1972, He created the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion. Today we call it the Templeton Prize, but at the time it had a longer name. And it was to be an annual award for an individual whose work over the course of their lifetime made significant advancements in expanding our understanding of spirituality and the human experience. My grandfather often said the judges would ask three questions when they considered nominees for the Templeton Prize. What did this person do that was new and original? Was this new thing of a spiritual nature rather than merely humanitarian? Did it result in a great increase in man's love of God or understanding of God? And he set the prize amount for the Templeton Prize larger than the Nobel Prizes to make the point that progress in religion is possible, and also that the spiritual dimension of human existence was as important or even more important than the other modes of inquiry that the Nobel Prizes recognized. The first laureate was Mother Teresa, By the early 1980s, my grandfather began to formalize his philanthropic work. He created an organization called the Templeton Religion Trust, which still exists today. And in 1987, he established the John Templeton Foundation as a Tennessee corporation because he grew up in Tennessee. He appointed family members to the board. He appointed family members as officers of the foundation. And he limited grant making in those early years to a million dollars per year. Today we are just under $4 billion, and we will give away about $150 million in grants in 2021. We fund academic research and public engagement activities about the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind. And we do this across disciplines. We're making grants in physics and biology, in psychology, sociology, and in philosophy and theology. I like to think about our work in the following way. All of us have existential questions. Who are we? Why are we here? Do we have purpose? If so, what is it? What should I do? Who should I be? And while it might seem like these are questions for philosophers or even theologians, we believe that science research, science research of all kinds, provides insight and perspectives that can help us explore some of these questions. So we fund research on free will. What is it? Do we have it? We fund research on understanding religious belief and spiritual practices and what impact that might have on our physical and mental well-being. And we want to understand things like curiosity, gratitude, generosity, and awe. Can we measure these concepts? Can we cultivate them? But we don't stop there. We try to bridge the gap between what we're learning in the lab and what happens in our everyday life. And we do that, that level of communication by funding videos, podcasts, publications, and programs that gives all of us, whether we're young or old, the opportunity to engage with these kinds of existential questions. One of my favorite projects was a a grant to the National Speech and Debate Association. We supported a few rounds of the Big Questions debate series where students debated resolutions such as objective morality exists or humans are fundamentally different from other animals. And I think that program is a great example of how to encourage engagement with questions or topics that we don't regularly think about and how to do that with young people. As you mentioned, I became president of the John Templeton Foundation in 2015. And that was really a result of a succession planning process that was intended to be implemented in 2018. But when my father passed away before 2018, the board of trustees felt I was ready and able to take on this task. And I've served in this role as president with my sister, who is chair of the board of the foundation since uh, 2015.
0: Wow. Um That's a lot. It's really profound, the work you guys have been doing. Um, and, and you mentioned that the foundation has funded a lot of work on purpose, um, which I know Forbes magazine picked up an article called Profound Psychological Benefits of Purposeful Life. Um, so tell me a little bit more about that work and, and what have you learned?
1: Yeah, thanks for mentioning the article. I was pleased to see Forbes cover the topic and cite some of the work we have funded. The John Templeton Foundation has really been at the forefront of exploring topics such as purpose, again, through scientific research, because we believe the methodologies of science can shed new ideas or new light on ideas like purpose. So we've supported research on purpose at various stages of development. How do we develop purpose in young people, college-age students, and even among older adults? We've sponsored prizes and essay contests, and we've also invested in efforts to communicate the impact that purpose can have on one's life. So I'll say a few words about what we've learned, but I also want to emphasize that there's always more nuance to the information that emerges from scientific research. It's important to note that researchers are always refining their processes and that given the tools we have to research purpose, so we can measure purpose through surveys, we can investigate case studies of exemplars, people who exemplify a purpose-driven life. We can even make some inferences about the physical health and mental health benefits of purpose, but there's still so much to learn. When we talk about a concept like purpose, we need to define that term. So research on purpose goes back to the 1950s and 1960s, well before the John Templeton Foundation was established. But in the early part of the century, scholars coalesced around a really good definition of purpose. Some of our grantees, Dr. Bill Damon and Dr. Kendall Bronk, published a paper in 2003 that said there are three components to purpose. Purpose includes having a goal. Purpose also includes doing something that is personally meaningful. And purpose includes a focus on aims that go beyond oneself. And I really like that last part because having purpose is not just about In fact, I would say that purpose must include a focus on serving the greater good. It's not just about doing something that's personally meaningful. So that's that's one of the first things we've learned. Purpose is an intention to accomplish a goal that is personally meaningful and that makes a contribution to someone or something beyond oneself. Now, researchers are also exploring the benefits of of purpose. And indeed, this is much of what was covered in the Forbes article that you referenced, in order to study the benefits of purpose, purpose, researchers have developed tools for measuring purpose. And as I mentioned, there are surveys or interview protocols. So that's some of the work that we have funded. How do we measure purpose? And to what extent does purpose play a role in the way that people live their lives or how they think about themselves? And on that, we're learning that those who have a sense of purpose are more optimistic. They are more content with their lives, even when they are living through adverse circumstances. And they even seem to have better health indicators. So they experience less stress, they have lower cholesterol and lower levels of inflammatory responses. It also seems that those with purpose have strong social relationships. And of course we think that strong personal relationships also lead to positive health outcomes. It's important to note though, as you hear these details that we have not established a causal relationship between those with purpose and these positive outcomes so it may be that healthy people are more likely to find purpose and meaning in life but i think that while we don't fully understand all the connections between having a sense of purpose and positive physical and mental health outcomes we can point to some interesting evidence and that's a lot of the work that we have funded through the john templeton foundation
0: wow um i took so many notes Um, you know, it is, it's super fascinating. And I, and I, I'm thinking through, not to make it about us or UBS, but, you know, we do have a sort of a newer CEO, Ralph Hammers, who's been extremely focused on our, our, our sort of company's book purpose and dedicated a lot of the re- the resources, a lot of resources at UBS for the last, we'll call it six months and creating one that serves us well. And we just came out with it last week. So I can't, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention it, but it kind of does check a couple of the boxes that you said about, having a goal that's meaningful but aims to go beyond oneself. And if we can apply that to like a corporate setting, ours is reimagining the power of investing, connecting people for a better world. So it it's it sort of hits on all of those things, which is amazing. So um it's and and it's also interesting what you talked about the, the causal thing, which I think a lot of people are seeking, right? Like what gets me there? Um right. but in a lot of the work that we do with our clients, you know, when we're working with people of significant means, um and perhaps, you know, work isn't necessary. It's really sort of vital to figure out like what will what gets me out of bed, what's my purpose, what do I value? Um, and so the work is, is highly relevant to, to, to what we do at UBS too. Um so Tom, I mean, I'm just so curious, tell me, why is research on on purpose such a core interest? And I, I think I could answer it, but I want to hear it from you know the horse's mouth. Why why is it this core interest of the foundation? Well,
1: to some extent, it really draws from what you were talking about. My grandfather was able to accomplish a great deal throughout his lifetime. And as he sat down to articulate his sort of philanthropic vision, he thought about the values that had helped him succeed and also those characteristics that had helped him endure hardship throughout his life. When I reflect on his life and what I know about it, I think he always felt a deep sense of purpose and meaning. And I also think he went in search of purpose and meaning, as many people do. His first wife and his mother died within months of each other, and that was a key turning point in his life to some degree. And as he developed his philanthropic mission, he identified this concept of beneficial purpose as one of those areas that his philanthropy and that the John Templeton Foundation could explore he specified beneficial purpose. So we've been talking about, ben- about purpose, but he specified beneficial purpose because he realized that it's possible to have a deep sense of purpose to do wrong or to pursue activities that are very productive. So he wanted to make clear that he's after beneficial purpose, and he actually put those words into our governing documents. And in fact, one of our most successful investments in purpose goes back to the early 2000s those who were working at the foundation at the time. And I was on the board, but not an employee at the foundation. They received a fax from my grandfather. My grandfather never adopted the email, but he loved the fax. Love it. And he would Love it. He would write these um, faxes, just in his handwriting. And often they were one sentence. And he sent over this piece of paper and it said, what can we do to encourage purpose in retirement? Mm. So just one simple question. And that sparked a really vibrant internal conversation, which ultimately led to the creation of something called the Purpose Prize. And that became a prize given annually to awardees, so more than one person who were over 50 and who were using the skills and experience they gained in their first career to start a new organization or program that serves a need in their communities. So we funded the Purpose Prize for over a decade with our funding partner, the Atlantic Philanthropies, and now the program is run by the American Association for Retired Persons. And you can look it up today. Look up the Purpose Prize. This year's winners include the founder of an organization called Sandy Hook Promise, which advocates for school safety and violence prevention efforts. And another woman created an organization in Detroit called Brilliant Detroit, which works with local neighborhoods to ensure that children are ready and that they're healthy and stable for school. And then another winner is a woman who started the Bronx Children's Museum to fill a need. The Bronx is the only one of New York's five boroughs without a children's museum. Hmm. So as I noted earlier, and as you were talking about uh, some of the work that you do at UBS, purpose is not just about finding and doing something that is personally meaningful. It's really about working toward a goal that brings benefits to others. That's what the Purpose Prize honors, and it's just so exciting to see that the Purpose Prize continues, and that there are so many worthy nominees each year. And it's just a great example of why purpose was important to my grandfather, and
0: why it remains a core interest of the work that we do. That's interesting about the the Bronx Children's Museum. I didn't I didn't know that. So I'm learning I'm learning a lot from you, and that's one of them as a as a New York resident. It's really really cool.
1: Um, yeah, I didn't know about it
0: either. You can watch a little video and learn about the, the winner. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I definitely will. Thank you. Um, so d- digging in a little bit more, because this is fascinating. Um, what role does adversity play in helping people develop a sense of purpose? So this is a really interesting question. I mean, I've
1: always thought that living through a difficult experience or facing challenges leads to personal growth. Like, I think that's true to some degree in my own experience. But we wanted to test that, so the John Templeton Foundation set out to explore this question in 2016, and we funded two psychologists, a man named Dr. Aranda Jaira-Wikrama, Wickrama, is at Wake Forest University and another psychologist, Dr. Frank Inferna at Arizona State University to test the idea that adversity makes us stronger. Now, you can certainly ask people if they think they're stronger or more resilient after going through a difficult time, but people aren't always that good at self-reporting. So they might say, yes, I grew in these ways after experiencing this hard thing. And yet, if you look a little bit deeper, they're still struggling. So these two scholars were charged with giving small research grants to a wide array of researchers who are trying to come up with better methods for really understanding whether and to what extent we change for the good or whether we develop a deeper sense of purpose and meaning after experiencing trauma or a big challenge. Now, the work was done, a lot of the papers are still being written and they'll they'll emerge in the next couple of years. So we don't have all the results of the work, but these scholars found that people do grow from adversity. It just doesn't happen as often as we think. And I think that's interesting. On the one hand, it may sound really discouraging, but I also think it shows why research on these topics is so important. If we know that the old adage, that which does not kill us makes us stronger might not be true for everyone. then I think we're in a better position to actually help others or even ourselves when we're going through a challenging period and we don't feel like we're growing or we're not getting over it or it's a lot harder and lingering for longer than we expected. So what role does diversity play in helping people develop a sense of purpose? I think it plays a role. I just think we don't fully understand that. And we probably need to mm. tap our assumptions around
0: it as well. Yeah, it would be interesting to learn more about that. If you, if you do some more research, let me know. Um, yeah,
1: more will come out on that topic, I can assure you.
0: Yeah, I am sure of it. I'm sure of it. Um, so, again, digging a little bit deeper. So what have we learned about how to cultivate it, right? I know that was, you know, the causal thing is, is is unknown, but what about cultivating purpose?
1: I'll start with this interesting finding from some of the work we funded. Most people report that they don't feel they have a sense of purpose. So according to research, only about one in five high school students and one in three college students report having a clear purpose. And the ratios drop further as we grow older, and they actually can decline significantly later in life. Again, that may seem very discouraging, but I think it's a call to action. So what can we do to cultivate our own sense of purpose? And then how do we instill purpose in others, especially our children and older adults? And we can start, and there's still a lot of work to be done around this, but some of the tidbits we have and information that we have include encouraging children and adolescents and even adults to be grateful. So writing thank you notes, keeping a gratitude journal, counting your blessings, Mm -hmm. These small actions can enhance one's awareness of the goodness in their own life, which leads to thoughts about how to serve others. And then, as we've discussed, that can lead to some sense of one's personal purpose. We've also found that adolescence and early adulthood, so those sort of college age years, 18 to 24 or so, seem to be an ideal time to encourage individuals to think about what matters most to them. And and that's what becomes more difficult for adults as they age and and go into their careers because we sort of have the sense that you should have it all figured out by then and when it's not the case it's more challenging to think about what my purpose is and and how I'm using my life to serve others. So really focusing on young adults to think about what is important to them can help young people develop a sense of purpose. And two other points on that. One is it's not about asking young people what do they want to accomplish, what what goals do you have for your life. It's actually more about asking them what's important to you what values do you have and one other finding mm-hmm. which will not surprise any parents who are listening is that young adults children adolescents are more likely to listen to someone who's not their parent than, than <laughs> their parents so the, the, and this may be true for you is treating me for me to some degree so the role of mentors becomes really important and, and for those who are involved in either careers or volunteer work where you have the opportunity to mentor someone else that, that we find, and we think is really important. So those are some of the things we're learning about how to cultivate purpose again, more to, to learn. But I think if, if we really focus on the younger ages, then it's easier for somebody to think about purpose, have those conversations and continually reflect on, um, what's important to them, what goals they have, what skills they have as they move throughout the lifetime.
0: Yeah. And, you know, again, going back to what some of the work we do, one of the very first things when we think about purpose or working with our families is understanding their values. Right. I sort of mentioned that too. It's it's We got to start with what's important to you and, you know, not, you know, it's kind of a bit of the Simon Sinek, what's your why. Um, and that right. that helps, you know, delve into sort of the more the more the bigger conversations around purpose and and I totally second everything you said about um you know with kids and 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 parents and all that kind of stuff so I I we facilitate family meetings a lot um on the team and one of the things I say to parents who are sort of skeptical especially those with like teenage kids I was like look I can ask your kids a question that they will answer very differently than if you had asked it. They're not going to roll their eyes at me or Scott or whatever. You'll be next to them, so you'll benefit from from having that conversation, from me asking that question, you being present. But it's different when a, you know, a neutral third party. I like to make the Swiss joke. Um, you know, working for a Swiss company, they sort of be Switzerland um, asking them. So um, if I can get a little personal. I'd love to know how you've applied some of this work on purpose in your own life and and what have you learned from it?
1: Well, I'm most compelled by the definition of purpose that I cited earlier. Purpose in life represents an intention to accomplish something that is both personally meaningful and at the same time leads to productive engagement with some aspect of the world beyond oneself. So it's not about me, it's about others. And I would say on the one hand, I learned this lesson early by watching my parents' medical careers so, they were both very busy physicians. They missed many key moments in my life. My sister and I would sometimes go for days without really seeing our parents. But that's because they wouldn't leave a patient until their patient was stable. And if they needed to stay longer or take on a difficult task, they never put that work onto someone else. And of course, I never observed them doing this kind of work. But I, They just the way in which they exercised their career or lived their career was exemplary to me, and I think that impacted me, gave me a deep sense of purpose from a very young age. And then I also have this experience from middle school, which is kind of a silly story, but it has stuck with me throughout my life, so it's worth sharing. I was 12 years old, and I remember making detailed plans to celebrate my 13th birthday with three friends. Everything was planned, it was all set, and then I realized I had committed to a day of service with my friend's church. And I was so mad. It was, it was the the day was actually on my birthday. I wanted to bow out, but I kept the commitment. And I spent that day serving children in the city of Philadelphia. It was a remarkably fulfilling day. And I still remember the joy I felt in doing something on my birthday that wasn't for me. So there, at a personal level, that sort of outward focused aspect of, of purpose speaks to me. But, you know, more recently in my adult life, I think that focusing on the world beyond gives me energy for each day. I taught high school students. And in that role, I had to focus on preparing my students for a life of learning and service. But t- teaching is all about serving students, serving others as a parent I'm far from perfect. But my husband and I see our role as helping our kids develop a sense of purpose. And the work to teach them about purpose gives us purpose at this moment or at this stage in our lives. And then finally, as president of a private foundation that my grandfather created and to which he left a specific mission. So it's not my mission, it's his. I derive a great deal of meaning and purpose by ensuring that his vision is maintained, that the team at the foundation have what they need to be successful, and by funding people to conduct research that will transform individual lives. And I would add just one more uh, point that has come up in the research. Purpose is, as I said, a purpose is not about achieving a big goal or engaging in a social issue. It's possible you really find per- personal meaning and, in serving others, and it depends on your context. So some of us are out in the world feeding hungry people, or we're getting resources to those in need, or we have some big job where we're caring for our employees, producing goods and services that benefit others, and some of us are at home caring for children or for an aging parent or for a loved one in need. And both these big and these seemingly small tasks are important. So I believe it's possible to live a deeply meaningful and purposeful life, even if your circumstances require that you focus on a small group of people or that your scope of influence remains narrow. Another way to think about it, it's not what you do It's how you do
0: it that creates
1: purpose and meaning.
0: For sure. So I know we're coming up on time, but um, for our listeners, would you recommend any resources uh, to to, to draw on some of this research on purpose?
1: Yes. I will mention a book that's from many decades ago and then two other books that are uh, worth reading. One, the first person to really read and write and study purpose was a man named Viktor Frankl who uh, survived the holocaust um he was in a concentration camp for many years and he has this great book written in 1959 called man's search for meaning i realize the title is a little outdated but it is still <laughs> worth reading it well wow. ago. That's, yeah you can i haven't seen an updated version of that title but it may exist um another is or the, the other two books i would just commend to those who are listening are from two of our grantees dr bill damon That book is called The Path to Purpose, Helping Our Children Find Their Calling in Life. And Mark Friedman, who was the one who ran the Purpose Prize for so many years, his book is Encore, Finding Work That Matters in the Second Half of Life.
0: Okay, I'm writing these both down or all three down. Thank you. Um, so that's incredibly helpful. Um, so Heather, thank you so much for joining me today. I feel like this has been a fascinating conversation and I I have a sense that two of us could have talked for much longer than we have, but (laughs) we'll leave it there. Uh, I am always so impressed by the remarkable research, research conducted by the, the John Templeton Foundation and how you've maintained your grandfather's legacy. Um, so thank you so much for sharing with us today and being with us. Thank you, Judy. Great to be with you. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements.